and we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by none other than Generous United. Generous United is an Atlantic Canadian-based buying group that is dedicated to making sure you are able to afford your prescription drugs. One thing I love right now about Generous United is that they are helping out small businesses right here in Atlantic Canada helping them afford health care for their employees. It doesn't have to be prescription drugs. Everyone can save on health care. It doesn't matter what you're looking for. But if you can save on one aspect of your health care, why not go with Generous United and save on some of your prescription drugs? It doesn't have to be you. Uh, it could be a family member, a loved one. We can all be benefiting from the services that Generous United is offering. So what they will do is team up with a pharmacist, a local member of your community who is also dedicated to making sure that you are living a healthy lifestyle. Generous United will team up with that pharmacist and give you a free attentive service that will allow you to save money on some of the prescription drugs you are using. So head on over to generousunited.ca, that's G-E-N-R-U-S, united.ca, and see if there's anything that they can be doing for you. One more time, G-E-N-R-U-S, united.ca. Today's episode is also brought to you by Osprey Ridge Golf Course, an hour, maybe 45 minutes outside the city, depends who's driving in front of you, a family-owned golf course. It doesn't even have to be a golf course. Whenever you hear of something being family-owned, what do you think of? You think of pride of ownership. So whenever you pull up to Osprey Ridge, you, you see the pride of ownership. You see that the fairways are beautiful. The greens run a great pace. The customer service is incredible. Every time I go there... Everyone has a big smile on their face. They are ready to welcome their guest. Also, a brand new renovated patio. So when you're done playing your round, head on up to the brand new patio. Grab a beer, grab two, grab some nachos, grab a hot dog. Do what you got to do in order to enjoy your round. And I'm not even talking about the golf yet. That's just the patio. It is a Graham Cook designed course. It will challenge you, but at the same time, it will allow you to have fun. Like I said, 45 minutes to an hour outside the city. Osprey Ridge. I'm there pretty much every weekend. I have a great time with myself, my friends, my family. I hope to see you there as well. Today on the High Button Podcast, we have Ryan Bonus. If you don't know who Ryan Bonus is, let me fill you in. He is the Director of Professional Scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't think that there's a position higher than that anywhere else ever. Like Director of Professional Scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins. This guy is responsible for making sure that Sid has wingers that adapt to his game. He's making sure that the Pittsburgh Penguins are shaped correctly for the future. His father, Rick Bonus, the famous NHL coach, NHL player. I'm going to give you a little bit of Ryan's hockey background because he was a player before he got into the management side. Uh, he played in the OHL for Brampton. He was actually the captain of the St. Mary's men's university hockey team he was the captain of that team so Steiny coached him uh and then he had a little stint uh in the uh, professional hockey playing in the east coast playing for the ontario reign after that uh he moved on to the management side he was actually the team manager for the atlanta thrashers remember that team uh then moving on to the winnipeg jets same you know what i mean like atlanta turned into winnipeg so he stayed with winnipeg for uh the next five years after that he was, sorry he was with atlanta for two years after his time in winnipeg uh, he got switched over to Pittsburgh where he became a pro scout. And in 2019, 2020, he became the director of professional scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So obviously he's been doing something right in that organization. And I have to mention this as well. I have to mention this. Ryan Bonus is a Stanley Cup champion. He was with the Pittsburgh Penguins in that 2017 run. So show your respect during this podcast while you're listening because I'm about to as well. Anyways, I'm Justin. We're talking to Ryan. This is going to be a great episode. Here we go. You know what comes next. Boom, Ryan, we are going. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime, anytime. I know we were supposed to get a hurricane today, but I don't know if that's happening. <laughs> so I was like, if this guy comes in a hurricane, that's a, no, that's actually, a, that's a good I, look I'm for you. Fall River right now. It's a lot worse out in Fall River. So oh, is it? Pleasant surprise to come downtown. Yeah, yeah. It's usually the other way around, but it's, it was nice. Good drive in. Canceled my golf plans today because oh, of no. the hurricane. That's never good. Have you been playing a lot this summer? I've been trying to. Um, I usually play a lot more. I'm usually a member out at Oakfield, 
Um, but uh, obviously last year couldn't come home because of the pandemic and had a baby and everything. So uh, as, as everybody that has kids knows, it's harder to get out when you've got a, a toddler running around. But no, I've played probably five or six times since I've been home. So it's been nice. nice. Yeah, it's been good. I got into it this year. I love it. It was a great, uh, it was a great pandemic sport to get into. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, always been a big golf fan. I think a lot of the hockey community is when you have the seasons match up the way they do. And actually living, I live in Arizona now during the season. So I try and get out during the year as much as I can, but not a lot of time for for it but uh my game is definitely affected uh worse than it was before because of uh, everything going on in the world right now so so why do you live in arizona if like if you work for pittsburgh yeah. how does that work uh so uh i i mean when you're a scout you don't you, you don't really have to live in the same city as your as your team we are uh, on the pro side I'm, I'm the director of pro scouting for the penguins and um so i oversee a staff of four guys but uh i mean i live out west uh my fair my family uh, has some history in phoenix i i never lived there but i was away playing hockey but my dad coached the coyotes uh, in the early 2000s so always loved the area um and then when pittsburgh wanted me to live west it was kind of choose where you wanted to be and i just was familiar with the area so i chose uh, scottsdale arizona so that's wicked yeah, yeah it's a good place to be in the in the winter time but uh nice to come home in the summer because it gets too hot out there in the summertime 100 percent. i remember yeah. we were I, I was doing a video for your dad to cancel the maritime for kids any the the, the the tournament yeah and uh this was probably two years ago and he was talking about the complications of coming home from mm -hmm. the states to being here in halifax he was thankful that he was here but mm -hmm. he was saying there was so much complication of trying to get home through everything yeah it was uh like i said i didn't even you know, we had our baby last june so we like, coming home really wasn't in the cards for us right in the middle of the pandemic so we were you know, it's hard to believe, but it was two years since uh, since I've been able to come home because I love coming home in the summertime. It's one of my, obviously my favorite things to do, but uh, we made it work this year. Uh, my wife's from the Ontario area, so we spent okay, July nice. in Ontario and uh, came here for all of August. So it's been it's been nice and it's hard to believe, but i got to leave uh, less than a week. Unfortunately, the season's coming quick, but it's flown by. I know. I saw it was on Instagram this morning, and I saw a picture of Marchand back in Boston. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's September. Like, the boys are back now. It's, it's, it's go time. Yeah, everybody's getting back at it, and, uh, you know, before we know it, the season's going to be here and we kind of expected that the way last season kind of ended uh, a little bit later than usual obviously but uh, you know it's funny once that calendar turns to, to September your your brain really starts to turn back on and get back into hockey mode so I'm excited to get going again. Um, I, I feel like your position the past two years is extremely difficult being a scout. Tra travel was limited I don't know what it was like in the states I know here it was very limited to travel and, and to go see other uh, hockey players that was actually really good for our business was the live streaming aspect because you know grandparents couldn't come in so we would go into the rink film and parents would be outside in the parking lot watching our stream so during this process we found out that a lot of scouts were watching our, our live streams and that, that kind of okay. clicked in and then when I knew you were coming on I, I was like all right, that's a question I'll ask them how, how was your job affected this year through COVID and was travel a little bit limited for you? Uh, certainly at the start of the year it was. Um, I, I just do pro, so I just do NHL and AHL games. So um, from January when the season started, we were uh, we told our guys just to drive to uh, where you can get to. Now, fortunately in Phoenix, I can get to L.A., Anaheim. I can get to Vegas if I need to by car pretty easily. So, um, But as the season went on, and, and I, was, I was fortunate enough to be vaccinated pretty early, um, so once I got fully vaccinated, it was pretty normal. I mean, the only difference is you're going in NHL rinks and there's no fans. So that was that was a little bit different. You're not sitting in the press box. You're sitting in kind of makeshift areas around the rink, and you know you're watching NHL hockey in empty buildings. It was uh, it was a lot different than, than usual, but you just adjusted. And um, you know, in the U.S., as the season went along, you know, flights were opening up more and buildings were opening up where there were fans. So um, it was it, the difference from the start of the year to, to the playoffs was night and day because come playoff times, a lot of the buildings were yeah. were full. So uh, I did the pre-scout for the for the Boston Washington series when we were playing the Islanders, and you know, both rinks were, were pretty much full when I was when I was covering that series. So, um, like I said, it started off a little different, but like anything else, you just adjust and. Um, you know, you, you make uh, you, you take what's given to you and make the best of, the, of a bad situation. And, you know, we did that as well as we could. When you were watching the NHL games in an empty building, you must have picked up some nice sound bites. Oh, I my God. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, you hear a lot of chirps and things going on on the ice uh, if you really listen intently. But it was, it was pretty easy to pick up. You could hear the refs talking to each other. You could hear everything because, you know, the, the acoustics of the building allow for everything to go up. And, um, yeah, it, it was different. You heard a lot of different conversations and yelling back and forth between the benches and stuff so it was, it was it was cool that way that's sick um yeah. uh, so being a scout i think that's a great job i think that's really cool i think uh 
you need to know a lot more about the player and the hockey player too, but you need to know about the guy. And we had Trevor Steinberg on here, who I know is your coach. And yeah. I, I love what that guy has to say about uh, scouting players. Cause I, I just, he, he goes on trips to Ontario and tries mm-hmm. to recruit or when he was coaching. Yeah. And uh, I love whatever, whatever that guy has to say about his players. I, I absolutely love. And it seems like it's 75% about the person rather than the hockey player. And I think that's, that's wicked. Um, I, I just want to know if you learned anything from maybe Trevor or just like growing up, uh, I guess you didn't really grow up here, but you definitely played here. Mm-hmm. You learned anything from Trevor in that in that aspect of getting to know players and the hockey person? Uh, certainly, I did a lot. I, I I played four years at St. Mary's, and I always say they were four of the best years of my life. Really? I loved being there. Um, it was my uh, as you mentioned. I'm born in Halifax, um, where my family's from here. But we always moved around growing up, where I was in the city that my dad was living in. We would just spend our summers here. So when I made the decision to after my major junior career to go to school, it was Halifax. It was a no brainer for me because you know I had a, a grandmother at the time that had never seen me play I had lots of extended family that never see me play so it was nice just to be in one spot for four years and spend the four years at, at St. Mary's and have a lot of family and relatives come see me play but um, going back to your question about Steiny certainly like I, one thing I always say about our teams at SMU is we always had a great group of high character high quality people and I truly believe that our teams were as close as you can get and I truly believe that's why we had success on the ice just because we all got along off the ice and we were all there for each other and Steiny really did a great job of recruiting high character quality people and uh, again I think that was a huge part of our success and um, I, I definitely carry that on to, to what I do now I think now more than ever um, character is a huge huge part of you know advancing your career as a hockey player there's a lot of guys that have made you know extended their careers by a few years simply because they're great to have around the dressing room and you know their infectious attitude rubs off on people so I, I i don't think players realize how much you know we look into that side of things when it comes to that you were a captain in saint mary's too so you had a leadership role did that come naturally to you or were you a vocal guy or did you lead by example what kind of leader were you well i mean it's, it's no secret i was never one of the best players on my team i was always kind of a third or fourth line guy um, I, I always say I was a lot more valuable off the ice than I was on it, and Tr- Steiny would probably uh, agree with me on that one, as would a lot of my coaches. They probably wish I just stayed in the dressing room when I, when I go <laughs> on the ice. But, no, I think it's just something that uh, I guess growing up around the game with my dad probably helped with that, where, you know, I would – my favorite players on his teams growing up were always the guys that were nicest to me and I would always be running around the room and seeing who kind of how they interacted with the other guys in the dressing room and how you relate to different personalities and I think that was probably certainly one of my strengths and you know I probably overextended my playing career because I had that I guess leadership and and you know that aspect in my game that that people kind of look for and, and gravitate towards. Do you have a certain memory maybe of being a kid running into a, an NHL dressing room and one guy gave you a little bit of advice, anything like that? Uh, you know, I, I tons of them. Like that, was, my childhood was spent around you know every every chance I got when I wasn't in school or playing my own games. I was at the rink. I was helping oh. out the trainers. Um, folding laundry, doing, you know, all the dirty work for them, filling water bottles. So that's how I grew up. Um, So I think you just naturally, you don't realize it when you're a kid, obviously, but that stuff just rubs off on you, you know, like that's the, you you gravitate towards certain people. And I guess, you know, as I got older, um, I always bring, and and I I hate saying this because he's really not that older than me, but Shane Dolan was a guy when my dad went to Phoenix, I think I was about 15 and he was probably, he was only like 20 or 21 at the time. So really he wasn't that much older than me. But I guess at that stage, I was kind of tar- starting to take my own hockey career a lot more seriously. So I started to pay attention to the way he interacted and the way he worked off the ice and the way he interacted with his teammates and the trainers and, and all that stuff. And I, I know he's friends. He's he's a friend of mine to this day because we're both in the Phoenix area, obviously. Oh, yeah. And I, I tell him, that, like, you know, I don't want to age you, but you're always my favorite growing up just because of the way he lived his life and the way, the, you know, the way he treated people. And I, I've always tried to take that from him. Speaking of Shane Doan, I couldn't imagine like, Oh, I'm thinking of Austin Matthews too, but what he did for Arizona and the hockey community, is there anyone else? Like he must be the, the head honcho there when it comes to the, 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 the youth of Arizona hockey. Well, not just hockey, but sports. Like it, it's unbelievable. Like it, you realize the Coyotes haven't been there that long, but they did a poll in the Arizona newspaper a couple of years ago, who's the most popular athlete in Arizona sports history and donor one. And so you think, you know, you got basketball, you got football, you got baseball there, and, and hockey's obviously probably a distant fourth. But he means so much to the community as a as a hockey player in Arizona. He was voted the most popular athlete in Arizona sports history.
history, wow. which is, you know, obviously a huge feather in his cap. And to this day, like the Coyotes just hired him back, and it was obviously a huge, a huge feather in the cap of the franchise to bring him back. But yeah, no, it's it's amazing to see, and he's just he's just as good of a player as everybody knows. He's he's an even better person. He really is, and I think that's that's where he rubs off on people. That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible that yeah. your buddy's with him too. Just to like yeah, no, and his son actually just got drafted by the Coyotes too. Uh, me a couple a couple uh, weeks ago the draft there, so I sent him oh. a text, and he was thrilled. And yeah, just a, a quality man, a quality family man first and foremost. And I liked the way he played too. So that was uh, another aspect. Of That's it. wicked. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about your junior hockey career. How did you end up in in uh, Brampton? So I was. Uh, I mean, going back to minor hockey, we lived in Ottawa. Um, for four years because your dad was the coach. Uh, he was coaching in Ottawa, but then we moved when he went to the Islanders, we moved to New York for two years and we, but we kept our house in Ottawa. So when he got fired in New York, we decided to move back to our house in Ottawa and that was during my major Bantam year. Okay. Um, so that was my OHL draft year coming out of Ottawa. So my, our second tour back in Ottawa was when I was drafted to the OHL. Wow. D- does Gretzky yeah. own that team? Uh, Brampton? Yeah. No, actually they're, they're in North Bay now. Uh, Scott Abbott is the owner who invented Trivial Pursuit, and he still owns the team in North Bay. Yeah. Wait, say that again, sir? He invented Trivial Pursuit, the game. He was our owner there in Brampton, now North Bay. Like, that's how he made his money? Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's yeah. so And he was around quite a bit. So, yeah, that was that was how he did it, and he was our owner, and he still is, obviously, that team in North Bay now. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. When you were playing back in those days, did you know that you wanted a career in hockey when you were done with it? Um, I guess when you're in, you know, and at, at, at that stage, you really don't think about it too much. You're yeah. kind of focused, you know, I was fortunate enough to be drafted by Columbus. I was more focused on a pro career and what I wanted to do in that regard. But, you know, as it moved along and it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to advance, um, you definitely start thinking about it. And that was a big part of the reason why I wanted to come back to school. I had a couple opportunities to turn pro at a junior and, um, you know, but with my style, I was kind of, you know, play the, the, not the enforcer role, but that was part of what I did. And I was like, do I really want to slug it out in the minors and, and do this? Or do I want to go get my degree when I have the education package and, and worry about my future? So making that decision was when I really started to to think about it. And um, my dad was in Phoenix at the time and, and Vancouver while I was at SMU at, with both teams. And I really, when I was around, like the few, few opportunities I had to be around his teams, I would really, you know, watch the interactions with management and coaches and how they talk to each other. And it, it really probably struck a chord for me while I was doing that and um, certainly it's, it's what I know you know it's what I grew up around it's the culture that I grew up around I have, I've loved it since I was a kid and um, fortunate enough uh, like I said to be able to, to stay in the game and but I wouldn't have got my first opportunity in Atlanta if I didn't have my degree from St. Mary's so it, everything kind of went hand in hand that way what do you I, that was my next question was about Atlanta, but what do you mm-hmm. mean? Like they just like wanted a degree on your resume to work there? So, it, it, I mean, I tell this story how I got hired originally and people really don't believe me, but I, I you know, when I finished my play, I played here in the East Coast, so got hurt and I, I decided that summer I was going to, you know, look around and start sending resumes around. But one of the things I really was important to me is I wanted to do it my own way. I didn't want to have my dad, you know, use him to call around. So I literally sent res- resumes around to teams, hoping to hear back, you know, a couple of months went by. Not didn't really hear much, and I think it was around November on the NHL.com job board, there was a, a posting for a hockey operations internship and for the Atlanta Thrashers. And I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll apply. I set my resume in. Didn't hear anything for about a month, and then all of a sudden I got a, car from the, a call from the HR person in Atlanta requesting an interview. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll try this out. So went through that process, and in the process with her, um, she had asked me if I'd ever been to Atlanta before. And I said, well, no, I never have. But interesting enough, my parents got engaged in Atlanta because my dad was playing for the old Atlanta Flames at the time. And <laughs> so they, you know, they have that history there. And she goes, oh, what do your, what do your dad do now? And I said, well, he's coaching in the league in Vancouver. And that's kind of how it started. And then Larry Simmons, who's the assistant GM who ended up hiring me, tells that story because he said, you got, you know, your first interview based off your resume and your background and everything. And he goes, one of the big reasons why I hired you was because you didn't use your dad as an avenue to get in. He goes, I like that you're doing things your way. And he said, too, like, you wouldn't have got that job if you didn't have your degree. So I, I it was literally a $10 an hour internship where I, you know, I just kind of got my foot in the door and it was a small staff and able to work my way up from there. But I tell that story. It's interesting how it happened because I, if I didn't have my degree and the way I went about it was how I got hired you know, for that internship that let me grow into what I am today. No way. So you just took the honest route and it paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Because you easily could He says that. He said, you know, he, because the HR person went to him and said, well, yeah, this guy's dad coaches in Vancouver. And he kind of looked up. He's like, oh, okay. Like he, you know, the assistant coach, not the head coach. He didn't really put the name together, but he's like, okay, I I respect the fact that he didn't, you know, try and go through other avenues to get his foot in the door. He's trying to do it on his own. So what was it like working for the Atlanta Thrashers? It's such a, I don't want to say weird team, but just such a, 
you know, different team. What, what was outlier, that like? Definitely an outlier. I, you know what? I, I loved it. I, it was, like I said before, we had a very small hockey operations department because, I mean, let's be honest, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, so it was, it, the staff was very small. So, you know, I go in there as a 26-year-old intern, basically, and I'm like, you know, the GM's office, the assistant GM's office, the coaches, and I'm kind of right in the middle of it because we had, like, again, we had such a small staff. So uh, right away I'm getting thrown into conversations that I really wasn't prepared for or, or shouldn't have been a part of, but because – you're around and you have your foot in the door you just kind of soak it all in and and just you're a part of things just because of that so um like I said a lot of the stuff I wasn't ready for and you know but I got kind of thrown to the wolves and you know you just kind of adjust as you go and fortunate enough to get brought along and then the transition over to Winnipeg you turned into an actual scout that's what I got from the website Uh, no I went uh so what was I I was in charge of player development my last year in Atlanta okay made the move to Winnipeg and I was just strictly an office guy I was manager of hockey ops so I was you know I did a lot of contract research a lot of the day-to-day stuff so I was just around the team and then two years into Winnipeg we had an opening on our pro staff and and Chevy their GM at the time out there's still the GM there asked me if I'd be interested in in being you know doing that job and I you know I kind of hummed and hawed a bit because it's you're you're leaving being around the team every day in that aspect but you're also gaining experience on the scouting side which you know I I had sat in on all the scouting meetings before but I was kind of running the computer I wasn't really part of the player conversation so for me it was important to to get that part of it too I'm I'm all I'm picturing right now is Jonah Hill and Moneyball (laughs) where does that guy I think he's a lot smarter than I am (laughs) Um, but no I was I was probably the guy like Larry who's the guy who still does the contracts and stuff I did all his research for him I did a lot of stats analysis I wasn't really I was kind of under him where he was the guy making decisions but I would provide all the necessary stuff to him and give stuff to the coaches it was kind of you did a little bit of everything in that kind of job which was great to gain that experience but I wanted to really sink my fingers into something and that's where I decided to go on the pro scouting side that's cool and right now you're the the the, the director of professional scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah yeah like, like that's yeah you just you know like I said you get your foot in the door and you try not to screw up as as much as you can and don't you know try and uh, relate to the right people and again it's it's a relationship based business like any other industry in the world is you know like if you don't if you do if you put your head down and do your job and do it the right way and hope a lot of your recommendations and decisions work out um, then you're gonna you're gonna succeed and it's like any other business or opportunity in the world yeah yeah I just think of like the the it's it's such a unique profession to me just not that you're like you're just looking at players in order to bring them to a city. They're, you're moving their family. It's like, I think this guy's great. I want to bring him to play with Sid on his line. It's mm-hmm. just such a unique job. And I couldn't imagine being in that position. You know, how many years were you a scout before you got that role in Pittsburgh? Seven? Uh, six, seven years. Six, yeah, seven years? Yeah, so you put your time in. and Yeah, you learn pretty quick. It's a, it's a business. You know, you have that player mentality, and I tell this to everybody that retires as a player and wants to go into this. Like, the conversations that take place behind the scenes – like you're really not prepared for you don't you don't really understand how much work goes into it until you see it can you give me an example of like a, a, a conversation behind the scenes that you weren't prepared for i'll tell you the, well, I, I tell this one a lot actually is when i was in atlanta so i just stopped playing i was 27 years old and i was i think it was our last year in atlanta and i won't name the player's name but we had signed an older veteran player well respected been around the game for a long time and it was clear he was you know he was on the downside of his career and halfway through the year you know he was done like it was just like okay you know what are we going to do with him here we have a decision to make like we don't want to insult the guy we don't want to send him down and they said okay the ultimate decision was that we were going to put him on waivers if he cleared send him down and you know hopefully he just retires and get you know that's that it happens and i remember sitting there and i'm listening to this conversation go back and forth and i and i looked and rick dudley was a gm at the time and i go oh i just for whatever reason decided to open him up oh no no we can't do that to a guy like him like we have too much respect for him and I'll never forget in unison, like everybody in the room kind of like looked at me and goes basically like, shut up, kid. That's exactly what we're going to do. You know, like kind of like, okay, like this is a business decision. We have to make it. And I was just like, okay, there's my welcome to this side, to the dark side. Like yeah. they say, unfortunately, you have to make those tough decisions sometimes. And if it's for the betterment of the team, you just have to do it. And uh, obviously that was my kind of, okay, like I guess, you know, this is, it's, it's a real business. It's a multi-million dollar industry. Um, you know, a lot of money at stake, a lot of investment at stake. And sometimes tough decisions have to be made and you can't, you can't take the, uh, allow the personal element, I guess, to get in the way. You, uh, you're employed by the Pittsburgh Penguins, who I think is one of the best NHL franchises going. 
maybe not even just in professional sports like it's up there and Absolutely, the, yep. i think when sid went there he, he changed the culture at least from watching on tv and stories i hear every now and then um first class first class first class i was wondering what you could tell me about the pittsburgh penguins organization and, and how you see that first class and how you see the professionalism because you have a stanley cup ring and you don't get a stanley cup ring from just going to work and not caring so yeah. i was wondering if you could give me a little taste and the listeners a little taste of of, of, of the of the the expectations every day of going to work yeah well everything you said is true it's uh like i said i, I came from winnipeg and it, you know it, i have nothing but good things to say about the organization there as well um we are still in a, a building up phase so when i went to pittsburgh I, I joined them in between the 60 and 17 cups they had just won and you just as soon as you walk through the doors there it's everything is about winning you know there's no cost spared there's no expense spared is uh, you know if 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 our ownership and our management believes that this is any any little edge we can take towards uh, you know winning they're going to do it um we've never been turned down for a, a player contract request uh, whether it's bonus money whether it's anything on that regard um from my perspective when i'm running the scouting staff no expense has ever been spared it's just you know do whatever you have to do to get there to see the player if it's going to make a difference um and I truly believe it, it's those little things that make a difference. And uh, in Pittsburgh, we are, we're fortunate enough to have ownership that uh, that believes in that and, and really uh, practices what they preach. And, and it, from top to bottom, it really, uh, you know, it helps that you got a guy like Mario that played the game and, and, and understands that all those little things matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Sid sets the, the culture for our organization every single day. And every story you hear about him is true as well. And uh, like I said, from top to bottom, those are the expectations, and, and you better follow through on them because, you know, that they're, they're lofty expectations definitely. But trust me, it's all worth it when you lift that cup. Is there any leadership uh, ability that you bring to work every day, being uh, the, the, the director of Pro Scout? There must be people under you that are looking for advice from you. What kind of advice do people look for from you? Yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, this will be my, my third year in that role, and we've had three different, you know, obviously last year was different with the, with the pandemic. We yeah. didn't really, you know, get out too much. But my first year, you know, I had, we had Craig Patrick was under me. We had Michelle Goulet, who's a Hall of Famer, Dwayne Sutter, like a lot of experienced hockey men. So a lot of, you know, in my first year in that leadership role, I was really leaning on them for, you know, their expertise from the hockey side of things and, you know, trying to respect the fact that they've been around the game for a long time. So it was a little bit of a different element. And then, you know, this year we've hired two new, two new guys, uh, Kerry Huffman and Will Acton. Will's a young guy, first year scouting. So he's really, you know, trying to, uh, very green, trying to, you know, get him his foot in the door. And I'm trying to help him in that regard, just in terms of his scheduling and, um, you know, even little things like where do you stay when you go to Chicago? What hotel do you stay in? What, you know, what time should I get there? What, like, what door do I go in at the rink? All those things, uh, little things that you don't worry about. And then from my perspective, just overseeing them, it's making sure we have the proper coverage. So on the pro side, every scout is assigned uh, a certain amount of teams that they're responsible for. And we have to make sure that we have the amount of coverage necessary leading up to our mid-season meetings to get ready for the trade deadline and so really just monitoring their schedules making sure they're they're getting their games in their reports in on time um and then like i said if if player transactions come up it's on me to, to call them be like okay we're talking to just toronto for example this is what uh, what ron's talking to and here's who he's thinking where, where are we going from here who where is this guy going to fit um so it's just it's a constant everyday uh you know you're always on top of things and making sure because when, you, when your boss calls for an answer you better have it how often are you in communication with the head coach uh, not, not so much. I mean, I'm in there probably once a month or so, and I'll be in there for training camp. So when you're in there, obviously day to day, um, I, I did, like I said, I did the pre-scout last year for the playoffs. So I, that's more of a coaching where I'm watching from a coaching perspective. So talk to Sully before that. Um, but no, like we, we, we give the, the, the coaches, the players, they coach them and that's, that's about it. So throughout the year, really only when I'm in there and around the team, I'll, I'll spend some time in the coach's office and, you know, they'll ask me what I'm seeing around the league. I'll, they'll tell me what's going on around the team. And, and vice versa so um, not a whole lot during the year uh, more so you know when when decisions are being made around free agency and trade deadline time when when our uh, our jobs really come to fruition when you give an assignment to let's say someone that's in toronto and you want to scout the maple leafs mm -hmm. but what would your report look like what, what what questions would you be asking would you be like is there a third line winger how does he handle pressure on the boards is he able to chip past pressure and gain speed through the neutral zone like what, what kind of questions are you asking your scouts to look for well first of all like we we tell them like we want reports on every single player in the league at least twice a year so wow. uh, you know even if it's a guy that we really have no 
interest in acquiring or anything, you have to have a trail of reports. Now, there's certainly going to be more emphasis on potential trade targets or free agents, so they'll have a lot more reports in our system. Um, but yeah, we, we want to have a trail of everybody because our report system really goes back to when a guy's 15, 16 years old. You can pull up his game reports and go all the way through his NHL career. So um, you need that track, and it's it's interesting to see that, like where a player's trending up, down, uh, anywhere. And then, um, you know, the difference on, on the pro scouting side as opposed to the amateur is we are very much focused on the now. Obviously, amateur, you're you're projecting to the future. But if if we call and we identify, you know, if Sully identifies, we need, we need some you know, size and, and grid on our third line. Well, we're going to have to go out and find a list and put a list together of guys that we think could be a fit for us right now. Um, so whether it's through trade or free agency or waiver claims or anything, like we just, our job is to stay on top of that throughout the year as best as we can. So when those questions arise, we're prepared for the answer. In the summertime, I'm assuming you like to take time off. We go, you know, you say you golf, you, you got a kid, you're a family man, you take time off. But are you always in the back of your head thinking, like for this company, like even if I'm golfing, I'm still thinking. Yeah. But are yeah, you always you, thinking about it? Your brain's always on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like certainly in the summertime, it's a lot less than uh, than during the year. Like, I mean, in a typical year, once free agency's done, like, you know, the first couple of days of July, you really have from mid-July through mid-August where you can kind of shut it off. And that's typically in, in our industry when everybody kind of goes on their vacations with their families and, and takes the time away. But yeah, like you need to do that though. And I always say that the the place, the only place in the world I can really come and shut it off is, is our lake house on Grand Lake because I just, I get there and I relax, you know, it's, that's why I love coming home so much because I know I'm home and there's nothing around me that I need to be, you know, really taking care of business wise. I can just chill out and enjoy some time in the water and spend some time with friends and family in Halifax and go golfing. So you do need to turn your brain off because once that season comes, it's, it's all day, every day, man, your brain's always on your where am I going next? What city am I in next? So what game am I at? You're jumping all over the place and phone calls and everything. So you need, for your, I think, for more of your mental health than anything, you need to be able to turn it off. And I think we're just all programmed that way where it's, you know, okay, mid-July through mid-August, we're, we're shutting it down for a bit. <laughs> it's time for a quick timeout brought to you by Crypto Vantage. Did you know that Russell Okung made history by converting half of his salary, which is $13 million, into Bitcoin? unbelievable professional sports and cryptocurrency are starting to go hand in hand high button sports and crypto vantage wants to make sure that you are up to date and educated on everything cryptocurrency so what i want you to do head on over to info.cryptovantage.com slash high button fill out the white paper at the bottom of the sheet and crypto vantage will send you a free information package that's right. I said free. High Button Sports doesn't want your money. All we want you to do is head on over to info.cryptovantage.com slash high button. Fill out the white paper at the bottom of the sheet and Crypto Vantage will send you a free information package on everything that you need to know about cryptocurrency. Like I said, the professional sporting world and the cryptocurrency world are slowly starting to go hand in hand. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't even say slowly. $13 million to Bitcoin. That's pretty fast. So, one more time. Info.cryptovantage.com slash high button. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, going into training camp, you said you're leaving next week. Yeah, yeah. So, we're, uh, we actually, my wife and, and baby and dog and I drove here from <laughs> from Phoenix. So, we're not doing that. We're going to ship the car back. But, um, so, time frame now is we're leaving next week. Uh, we're, we're shipping the car back next Saturday. And then actually... Fortunate enough this year, normally I'd be going to a rookie tournament in Traverse City or somewhere around there, but Arizona is actually hosting it this year. So no way. I get to stay home for a few extra days and cover that rookie tournament. Our, our guys will be spread out to the rookie tournaments around the league, and then I'll be going into Pittsburgh, I think, on the 21st for training camp. So Sick. it's coming quick. Is yeah. your old man in Dallas right now? No, he's still home, but oh, he's he? leaving. We're both leaving around the same time. So, yeah, nice. he's uh, he had shoulder surgery, actually, so he's he's on the mend. Uh, oh. He's taking care of that all summer and watching my little guy run around. So, yeah, he's he'll, he'll be on the same time frame as me. But he, he's the same way. His brain's going back on, too. He's starting to work a little bit here, too. So um, I, I recently worked a golf tournament, uh, the Jordan Boyd uh, Memorial Tournament, and I was lucky enough to be able to ask a, a panel of NHL guys some questions, and yep. your dad was up there, and I was asking him some questions. Um, and the question was, uh, how did, how, how did you find like the Stanley cup run during the bubble when there was no fans? And he completely disregarded the question and just went into what he wanted to talk about. And what he <laughs> wanted to talk about was how tight of, uh, of a team Dallas was that year when they went to the finals. And I don't want to say he started to cry, but like he, he, he was so emotional mm -hmm. about 
that team and that run and the, the, the passion that was oozing out of him into, I don't know, there was probably 200 people there. Mm -hmm. He, you could, you could, the, the room was still, it was mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Just looking at this man who's accomplished so much, talk about a, a run. And I, when I saw that passion, I thought of this question for you. Did, does, does that passion from him run to you into your job? The, the only way this, this company is successful is through passion, the hard work, don't get me wrong, but passion. Mm -hmm. So I just want to know if, if you think that the, do you think you're a more hard worker or do you think you have more of, of a passion for the game? I think it's, a, it's certainly a combination of both. I have yeah. a very, very strong passion for the game, and certainly, like going back to your first point, definitely inherited from him. You know, I grew up obviously around him and learning from him and watching him on a day-to-day -day basis. And to this day, he he says like, you know, every day in the National Hockey League is a great day, and and there's no there's no taken for granted. And you know, you look at him; he's been in the league since 1975, and he still says that to this day, where he still respects and appreciates the game. And I have definitely inherited that. You know, I'm I'm I pinch myself a lot. Where it's you're you're very fortunate to do what you do and get to travel around to NHL rinks and be around NHL people, and um, you know, certainly have my own career expectations and goals and and you know working towards that and that's the hard work aspect of it but you don't get to this point if you don't have a passion for the game it's it's a very demanding and, and time consuming and hard on your family and grueling a lot of travel so um, if you don't have a passion for it you're not gonna you're not gonna last very long and I've seen in my time working it I've seen a lot of you know former players or everybody getting their foot in the door and just decide it hasn't been for them because Maybe they haven't had the passion. Maybe the work was too much. I don't know. But uh, you'll never find me complaining a day about what I do. And uh, again, that's related to the passion I have for it. What was the common trait of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization? What, sorry to go back to that, but I forgot to ask this question. What was mm -hmm. the common trait of everybody in the organization for that 2017 season when they won the cup? Like all the way up to like the people that sell the, the season tickets to the to the water boy. Like what was the common personality trait of everyone that year when they're all working towards one goal? Yeah, it was it was so interesting to come in in that situation because the, the, like it was almost like they just expected to win. Like it was just yeah. everybody in the organization from top down. You know, they'd done it the year before, um, but it, anything less than that was just not going to be accepted. And you know, we the heated debates we would have over players in in scouting meetings or a trade deadline. Like we got into a few big arguments over over players that year because, again, anything less than then winning that Stanley Cup was just not going to be accepted, and we still have that to this day. Obviously, we've you know haven't hasn't come to fruition since that first year I was with them. But um, I think when you get a taste of winning, which that team had the year before, you you can always say, yeah, I want to win. I would I want to win, but you don't really know what that feels like until you do it. Mm. And then once you do it, it makes you want it even more. If you can believe that there's no, you would think there'd be a little bit of complacency where, okay, we, I've, I've got my cup. I'm good. I'm ready to go. But, and I can, I can certainly agree with that because now having been through it myself, I want, I thought I wanted to win the Stanley cup before we won it. And now that we have, I want it even worse every year. And it's, you, you, when you lose, you take it personally, you do. And that, that that's a trait that everybody in that organization has. That's such a, I love that. Yep. That's a, awesome. That's a great answer. Everyone just working towards one goal. And if you win it, you want it more. Yep. No, you do. It's, uh, and I've talked to several people after the fact that have won it with other organizations. And I remember having this conversation actually with John Sim at a golf tournament. I say, you know, I thought I wanted, you know, a cup ring before, and but now that I have one, like I want the other one way more. He goes, yep, that's the same way everybody thinks. It's, Why? Is it because you think you have like a recipe? It's like you win it once. You're like, okay, I know how to do that. Like, you know, it's it... it's almost like a personal thing. It's like you watch you watch somebody else walking around with that Stanley Cup, and you're like, that's mine. You know what I mean? That should be ours. Like that's you know, and I think that's just an organizational trait that we have. That uh, you know, that's your cup, and you uh, you want it back. And you know, now that you've had a taste of it, it's it, it's a pretty uh, pretty intoxicating feeling for sure. Can you you, I, you can't even answer this, but can you describe the feeling of like being in the room? You, you really can't. You like can't. It's, no. I'll never forget the night, you know, the night we won in Nashville, it was game six and it was a zero, zero game. Um, and I remember we were, I was sitting in the press box with the, uh, you know, a couple other management people and stuff like that. And the third period, you just like, I remember our, our, our hockey ops manager trying to talk to me with her the whole, whole third period. And I just wouldn't even look at him. I was just so, you know, you're just, you're so on edge and you just, you're that close and you're one win away and it's a zero, zero game in the third period. And then Hornquist scores and just that feeling that went through my body when we all jumped up and, you know, we all ran, I, I felt, I remember running to the elevator with everybody to go down to the ice and we were like, it was like, you're walking on air. Like you don't even, like, I'm just, I remember looking around and like, you know, they had all been in through it the year before, obviously I was the only one that hadn't. And I'm like, is this happening? Like, it, it was, is this really like, is this going on? And then, yeah, you just, that whole night was, it was just incredible. It was just a a blur but you just try and soak everything in and take it all in and you know you get your 
couple seconds with the cup, obviously, and it was awesome. And you know, the the whole the whole experience was just like you you said. You can't put it into words until you until you actually go through it. That's incredible. Well yeah. said. Yeah. The the yeah, like the walking on air. I like that. You, you literally did. Just, I, I'll uh, never forget that elevator ride down to the ice, and you're just, I'm just looking around, and like you're trying to trying to calm yourself down i guess because there was still i guess a minute and a half left in the game and yeah. they were actually reviewing the goal while we were in the elevator so i'd my mom was at and dad were at the game and they my mom texted me being like oh they're reviewing the goal and i was like kind of looking around at the guys like guys like oh on the elevator down on the elevator dot ride down my mom texted me saying they're reviewing this goal and i was like oh my god and we're like on our way to the ice we're like oh thankfully yeah. the goal counted and we got the empty air it was good but yeah it was just you don't even know how to react. You don't know how you're going to react in that situation. And it was just, yeah, there's no way, to, no way to put it into words, I guess. That was a weird game, I remember. Like, yeah, 0-0. Zero, zero, there wasn't really yeah. much going on. Mm -hmm. No, it was it so was, tight. And I remember yeah. they had, I think they had a five on three in the third period. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going back to Pittsburgh. And we, I think it was like for a long one, like a minute and 20 seconds. And we killed it off. And our guys played so hard that night. And obviously, you know, Sid was the best player in the world in that whole series, really, even the games that we lost. So, um, but yeah, we, it was a tight game and, um, you know, <laughs> they may just wait till the bitter end to get it done, but the guys got it done for sure. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, could you, I maybe you can't tell me that, but I was going to say like, what, what, what's the, what are the plans for Pittsburgh right now going forward with Sid's career? I'm not saying winding down, but mm -hmm. you know, obviously he wants to win a cup again. Yeah. That's you the know? focus. You know, that's, that's our main focus. Like, that hasn't changed even with the new management, uh, you know, our mandate is to, to win a Stanley Cup. As okay. long as we have this core intact, um, our our job to them is to provide them with the proper players around them and resources around them to do it because we've made that promise. These guys, they've been career Pittsburgh Penguins, not just Sid, you know, the, the other core guys as well. And, um, you know, that's the goal. That's the mandate. It hasn't changed. Um, when I get told differently, I'll adjust, but I haven't been told any differently. Yeah. Yep. I guess, yeah, it's true. You do have a guy that's that's telling you where to go, what direction, what type of players to bring in. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced both sides of it. Again, in Winnipeg, when I started on the pro scouting side, we were, you know, our amateur staff was more, I guess not for lack of a better term, in the spotlight because we were building towards the future and we were selling off assets at the trade deadline for draft picks. So you're kind of yeah your work is is a little bit frustrating because you're scouting for the the pro side and your assets are getting sold off so flip side to what we've done last few years it really affects the amateur staff those guys work very hard hard all year to prepare for the draft and we're trading their picks away to bring in players to to help the penguins at the time so you know it's uh both staffs work extremely hard it's just different mandates and uh like i said for now our mandate is we're, we're going for it i love it that's yeah. a great answer yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sid's still, the, I think Sid's still one of the best in the world, if not, I think he's top two. Like I, yeah. The way I say about Sid is that he's so, he's able to adapt to the game so well. Mm -hmm. And let's say one aspect of his game isn't there, I think that another aspect of his game will pick up. I think that in his last year in the NHL, he could have 50 assists because yep. he sees the ice better than he already does maybe. Yep. He's just that type of guy, he's at least a, when I watch I on say, TV. Yeah, I say it in the nicest way possible. He's, he's a complete freak of nature. He really is. Yeah, like it's, it's just the way he... The way he operates, the way he runs our dressing room, the way he can, as you say, adapt to, you know, the style and changes in the game, the way he's improved, he, you know, he, he could he, he could be a defensive player of the year award every year. You know, he just that's just the way he plays. He plays a solid 200-foot game. And all the little things that he does that, you know, the casual hockey fan might not certainly notice, but, you know, an experienced one would. Like, those, those are the things that help you win. And he's just – his mindset is all about winning. And that's what I feel. I feel he'd fill water bottles to win. Like he would just do anything. No, there's, you know, it's, just it's true. There's no ego. Like it's just, you know, I, again, I've known him since we were, I was still playing. So obviously teenagers, when I first met him, um, trained with him at, you know, the same gym at SMU and stuff. And, you know, so getting to be around him, you know, from that to where he was that, you know, being around him like in the finals every day in that cup run and just seeing how he, the intensity in his eyes every day and how seriously he takes it and how, his attitude just kind of rubs off on the rest of the team is, uh, you know, you can never gain a full appreciation for it until you're around it. I was saying, it, well, you said it, but it must be nice having an owner that's played the game before. And I don't know how the professional side works when it comes to asking for money, but having a guy to ask for money that's been in the game and mm -hmm. knows that side of it, that must be a good feeling. Yeah, it's uh, for sure. I mean, he gets it, you know, he's yeah. uh he, he, he obviously oversees everything, and my our general manager certainly reports to him and runs everything through him. But I, from my perspective, like he's he's been around and in, in, in meetings and stand, just kind of stands in the background, lets us talk about players and do our thing. And he's he's not 
you know, challenging us or putting his, his two cents in there. He's just allowing us to do our jobs and respects that. And that's why he's so great. He's, uh, he gets it. He knows what works, what doesn't, what his role is. And, you know, he's, uh, he, he is who he is for a reason. I'll say that. <laughs> Have you ever played in one of those lunchtime Pittsburgh Penguins games? A few times. Yeah. Was yeah, it Lemieux ever times. on the ice? Mario never came out in those ones. No, his son Austin was out a few times. Um, but no, I was, I was, I've never been on the ice with Mario. I've been on the ice with Gretzky. I've never been on the ice with Mario. No. Yeah. How old were you when you were on the ice I with Gretzky? I was still playing. So when he was, when my dad was with Phoenix, he was one of the owners uh, back then. So he oh, would, yeah. I would train down there in the summertime, and he'd come out for our skates. So the guys used to laugh at me because it'd just be like informal skates, and you know, I'd be in the dressing room. I'd always wait to see which jersey color he grabbed, so I could go grab the same one and be on. Be on the same <laughs> team as him, so yeah, that was way back in God, almost twenty years ago now. So did he still have ago. it? He still, he, he still had the brains. Like it was amazing. He'd be making passes. You always had to be ready. Like he, he could, he saw the ice like unbelievably. He gave me one of those behind the net off the uh, or behind the net off the side of the net passes yeah. in the slot. Took me one time and I was just like, you get ready for it. But yeah, he had, he had the vision still. For that's, sure. See, that's what I feel about Sid. Like, see, he'll just still have that. Like yeah. those guys are, yeah, they're they're just no, different. They're that. different. Yeah, you don't lose that. They think the game differently and. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to, hard to put into words how they see it because you know I'm a, I'm a plugger that sees the game completely different than they do, but you know you have to respect it, obviously. Awesome. How much time are we at right now? Forty five minutes. Forty five minutes. Are you good for time yeah, right now? Yeah, you sure? Good. Yeah, no problem. Um, so when you go to Arizona, what's like the, the what? I don't know if you're allowed to tell me this, but what's like the first order of business? Like, what are you looking for? Like, right as soon as you you get back into work mode? Uh, like I said, well, I have that rookie tournament planned. Yeah. So, um, those are great because you know it gives you a view first of all of the kids coming up in, in, in everybody's systems, but also from a personal perspective, it turns your brain back on to the scouting aspect of it because you know you're away for a few a few months. You got to turn the hockey brain back on. So yeah, that'll be good for that and just get a, a book on some of these kids and then uh, right to Pittsburgh for training camp where I'll be you know we'll have a few full days of practices and inter squad games, a couple exhibition games, and then again we're off and running. Uh, as the season gets uh, creeps up closer and closer here, and the NHL, they are gonna—it's full fans, right? We're good to go. Uh, you know what? I think that's the plan. Um, again, the, the, this Delta variant might change things. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of teams mandating full vaccinations for for fans to come in the ranks and stuff like that. So, I—I I mean, we haven't gotten any final word on every single team. I've seen some Canadian teams come out and say you're gonna require full vaccinations, and I'm sure there's gonna be some American te- American teams follow suit. But that's the plan as of now. Nobody's told me any, anything different. So. Mo- I think the Moose has just announced you have to be double vaxxed and you have to have proof of a, a COVID test 72 hours prior to the game okay. and you yeah. have to wear a mask, but you're, everyone's allowed in. I think we're going to have to wear masks um, in the press boxes. I think that's going to be mandated, but again, like I, nothing's really come out uh, official from the league as, as what our protocols are going to be yet. That, that part of the job must be fun for you, like the fan aspect, even though I know you're not like on the ice playing, but just mm-hmm. going into a rink and seeing the atmosphere, that like I'm assuming you're still a kid and a oh, fan at oh, heart. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. I have my buildings that I love going to and I look forward to every night. Like for me, Montreal is still the, the best atmosphere in the game. You know, you walk into that building and you go upstairs and you're at a hockey game, man. You know what's you know, you're you ha- you're at a you're at a you're at a hockey game when you walk into that rink and you see what's going on there. So I love going there. Uh Chicago's obviously a great one too. That national anthem in Chicago is, is the best there is. So I always make sure I'm in my seat for that anthem when that thing <laughs> goes on. But uh, hey, you have your favorite rinks and buildings and cities that you go to. Um so yeah, looking forward to getting back with with full buildings for sure. Is one of the most chaotic weeks or maybe months of your job uh before the draft? You know what? For me, I mean, from the pro perspective, not so much. Um, that's more for the amateur Amateurs, guys getting, yeah. you know, getting their draft list and together. I'm around. Um, I really don't. I mean, unless we're making a trade, I'm, I don't have much to offer. Uh, like that's their that's their Stanley Cup. The amateur guys, like, they <laughs> they get ready for that all year. They prepare all year for that draft. So you respect that and you let them have their their time. And uh, you know, we have a great amateur staff in Pittsburgh that does the same thing. But listen, I'm around. But I would I would never sit here and try and take any credit because I, bottom line is I don't see these kids. I, I don't yeah. watch the, the juniors or, or college kids play. I'm focused on the pro side. So that's their time. And, you know, they do a great job at that. Focusing on the pro side must be a really different dynamic when it comes to, I don't want to say ego, but just it's uh, the, the, the NHL locker room is a, is a holy grail. And mm-hmm. you, you and I both played. We know what goes on in the hockey dressing room. But mm-hmm. I've never played on the pro side and played with millionaires. But I've heard, you know, if you, if you put someone in the room that isn't the, the, the best, it could ruin a team. And mm-hmm. you must have that responsibility of just getting to know the guy and making sure if you're putting someone in a room, you got to make sure that they gel well with everyone. For sure. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge part of it. Like, you, you, we, we all talk. We all gather information on players, both, you know, off the ice. What kind of guy is he? How is he in this 
dressing room. Like if you let's say you're talking about acquiring a player that was somewhere else before, you'll call somebody from that team, their trainers. How were they? How were they to deal with? Um, and the one thing I will say about our dressing room is it's so good and has such great leadership that you can introduce maybe a, a guy or two that has has had a, a questionable past because he's coming into an environment that this is the mandate and if, if yeah. you don't follow suit and you don't like you got the best player in the world that is the first guy on the ice every day and last guy off last guy in the weight room and it's like okay if you don't get in line and you don't follow suit like you're gonna look pretty stupid here you're yeah. not gonna get involved so we definitely have that uh, to our advantage that fortunate enough that you know some teams might not but for sure they, the character aspect goes into every decision that we make every player decision and hey let's be honest the way of the world right now with social media and everything like that's probably even more prevalent and it's it's only going to get you know more of a more of a priority as we move along here that's what siller said when he was in pittsburgh he's just like the the standard is set you don't really there's no it's just it's set yeah. you know you know you just walk in and you feel it in the dressing room there's yeah. no you're there to win a cup well and, and hey let's be honest it's a pretty intimidating dressing room yeah. to walk in as a yeah. player you know you get traded there let's say you're a young guy and you walk in and sid's sitting there and gino's sitting there and Latang's over there and it's like okay like you know i better i better adapt here i could be on my on my way out the door pretty quick but you know i think that's it's something that players probably have coming in, but Sid does such a great job of welcoming everybody involved. And I think once they're in there for a little bit of time, he, he makes everybody feel pretty comfortable. I love talking about the little details of an NHL player. When we, we had McKinnon on, we were talking about this, and we were, we were saying um, Babcock was talking about Lindstrom, and now he's like, yeah, Lindstrom, he only has a long career. Don't get me wrong, he's great, but he cares about the little details. And if mm -hmm. you're going to be a pro in this league for 20 years, you better be eating that same oatmeal every morning. You better be doing that stretch at 10 a.m. every morning. You better mm -hmm. be doing the little details. How do you find out if those guys are doing the details? Who do you call? You just, again, it, you, you dig de as deep as you can on players. Like yeah. if you have relationships with past coaches or trainers or the guys around the team every day, you know, that you, you know what it's like. It, it can be, you know, minutious at time where it's like, okay, you're around the guy every day for so long, things rub off on you that you don't even realize you're seeing or doing or everything like I that. See, okay, so, yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, anybody that you can reach out to around – you know, the player in the dressing room, or even if you know somebody from their personal life, if you know buddies, if you know family members, if you know that, you do as much digging as you can. Now, a lot of it's on the amateur side. They'll do, they'll dig into, they'll call former teachers or former principals or, or stuff no like way. that, see how they are at school. It, it reaches no far way. back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you got to remember, we're making multi-million dollar investments in, into these players. And, you know, if you if you screw a couple of them up, that's going to look bad on you. So it, it's going to look bad on your job as well. So you yeah. have to you have to be as prepared for every decision that you make. And, you know, if I, I, I tell kids all the time, what you do off the ice is almost just as important as the way you are on the ice when it comes to these kind of decisions. And we've seen, you know, players removed from draft lists for, for different situations over the years due to character concerns and stuff like that. And, again, I think it's only getting worse than it is is you know because of social media because of the access that we have to these players now it's uh, players have to be so careful with how they live their day-to-day -day lives we uh, i worked luke green's hockey camp and we were doing some behind the scenes footage and he asked me to go do a talk to the kids about the importance of social media and how mm -hmm. you have to be careful um but also how you, you can benefit from it there's yep. a lot like i understand there's a lot of things about social media that you have to be careful with for sure 100 percent. but there's also a side of it that you can you know you, you can start a little business you can start a little you can use it to your advantage but i agree with you 100 percent that the, the kids have to be careful oh yeah and there's and like you say there's a fine line there i mean i'm i'm probably in the area where i didn't grow up with social media so i'm not big on it and twitter and all that stuff that's just not who I am, but I understand that, you know, the kids coming up today, that's what they grow up with and that's yeah. how they interact with each other. Um, so I, I certainly understand that and it's just adapting to the way of the world. But, you know, with that, there could become consequences too. You just have to be so careful these days and, and probably rightfully so. What relationships do you value the most in your job? Like, is it with the trainers? Is it with the managers? Is it with coaches? Is it with players? Like, what relationships do you really value in, in, in your profession? Um, certainly, I mean, everybody you come in contact with in the game. Like, you, 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 I try and relate as best I can to everybody in every role. Um, obviously, the, you know, the other scouts with other teams, you know, first of all, our guys, the, guy that I, the guys that I oversee, and you, you, you gain great relationships with them whenever you're around them. But, you know, the nature of our business is the reality is you're around other scouts from other teams more than you're around your own team because you know if you live in the same area as a guy you're going to see him at the same buildings and the same times and the same hotels we all stay at marriott hotels it's no secret so <laughs> we see each other in the lobbies and the gyms and stuff like that so i value that you know and you, you gain an appreciation for and respect level for guys from other teams that do it and you learn about their organizations and how they operate and um for sure i just that's one of my favorite parts about going to the rinks every night you see 
opposing GMs from both teams. You see all the other scouts. You you get to know the media relations people in the press box, and um, just again, you just try and treat everybody the same and treat with the same amount of respect, and you gain uh, respect that way. Can your reputation be ruined quickly if you're not honest? Maybe like about injuries, maybe about certain things. But you, I'm sure there's been plenty of things that could have benefited you. Yeah. But you had to be honest and say, no, look, I'm sorry. He has this knee thing. No, he has a, you know. Yeah, and, there, it's certainly a fine line. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you, you try and stay as positive as you can about people. Um, but at the end of the day. If if you don't tell the truth about somebody and it comes back on you, that that's a reflection on you as well. So there's certainly that fine line you have to walk. You can't give out too much information, and everybody knows that. They respect that. It's part of their job too. They're doing the exact same thing. So if you can't tell somebody something, you just tell them, listen, I can't share that information with you. And it's like, okay, fine. How often does that happen? Like when you're just like, I'm sorry. We quite can... often. Does it? Yeah, quite really? often. Yeah, I mean, because you get to know these guys on a personal level too. But at the end of the day, your paycheck's coming from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that's your that's your loyalty, right? So there's there is that fine line where there's a competitive balance and you have to you have to watch that. And but if there's something, you know, if there's information that you're comfortable sharing, whether it's about a former player or anything like that, sure. You know, you got to help a guy out because he you, you might be calling him for the same question a couple weeks later. How How old were you when you realized the hockey world is extremely small? Pretty quick. You learn yeah. pretty quick. Um, you know, you, you have uh, you have these relationships with people and they know somebody that knows you or play with you or, you know, played against you. Now, it's obviously changed. You know, when I first started, I was at an age where, you know, I was played had played with or against a lot of the guys that we were talking about. So that aspect has certainly changed um, where it's obviously a younger generation coming up. I'm 38 years old now. So a lot of the guys that I play with or against are, you know, on their way out as players and trying to get in now. But um, it, it happens pretty quick, um, like I said. And I was fortunate enough to enter the league where I, you know, I had known people through my dad and, uh, you know, I had, had, you know, run into them at different buildings and say hi and that stuff. So I had that already. Um, but, yeah, you learn pretty quick that, uh, you know, it's, it's a very small world and, um, you know, you just, you, like I said, I pinch myself on a daily basis that I get to work in this industry every day. Ryan, you're the man. Thank you for coming. No, anytime. It was fun, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. I just have one more question for you. Advice for that, uh, the kid that wants to get into, I guess, well, you don't have to say scouting, but just wants to get into pro hockey, maybe yeah. off the ice. Any advice? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I mentioned how I started. I, I just, I took a $10 an hour internship and just did whatever I could to get my foot in the door. Now, like whether that's in junior hockey, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in pros in the American League, it doesn't matter. Like, you just have to get your foot in the door, and um, you'll gain relationships once you're in. Um, I, I realize that's easier said than done, and I was fortunate enough to get in the way I did. Um, but whatever you can do to get your foot in the door, um, be yourself, uh, stand up for your beliefs, and, and, you know, have an opinion on players, um, and hope you're you're right more than you're wrong. And listen, you're not going to be right all the time. You can't focus on past mistakes and just uh, – you know, um, focus on the right ones and, and be yourself. And like I said, build those relationships and talk to as many people as you can because like any other industry in the world, a lot of it is relationship-based. Wicked. Ryan, once again, man, thank you for coming. No. I do appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Uh, everyone listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. Today's uh, Thursday. Week's almost over. Summer's over. Enjoy fall. Don't say that. Not yet. Sorry. <laughs> Enjoy the hockey season. Training camp's going to be back soon. Enjoy hockey. Hopefully the Jays win, get a wild card game, something, whatever. <laughs> All right, we're out. Peace.